Peter, what will they proceed to do? Well, let's just put the name of an apostle on top of our letter. That way everyone will adopt it as gospel truth. You're, you're familiar with the book of 2 Thessalonians, right? 2 Thessalonians is written all to really quiet the fears and angst of believers. Why? Well, it's because someone had written a letter to those in Thessalonica telling them that they had missed the rapture of the church, which is sort of a big deal and is no doubt alarming and terrifying. And so to sweeten their pot of deception, not only did they write the letter telling believers that they had missed the rapture of the church, but they actually wrote an apostle's name on it. What was the result? Well, this false book was claiming apostolic authority and it led to the great demise of an individual's faith. Even Paul wrote there, so I'm writing so that you will not be quickly shaken from your composure because they were coming unraveled. Well, this is part of the unfortunate reason why Paul here in Galatians decides to put his big John Hancock at the end of this letter is to authenticate his apostolic authority but also to prevent someone from coming along after him and giving the Galatians a counter letter written with his name. They can always go back to this and see this written with Paul's own hand. I think the second reason is there's also a heightened need for earnestness within the church at this juncture. See, Paul's standard practice in that day, like many others in his day, was to dictate most of the letter through an amanuensis, right? Or a secretary who he would speak the book and someone would write it on his behalf. But here at this point, he does something undeniably emphatic. He takes the pen from the secretary's hand and he begins to write himself. Not only to give the Galatians the stamp of his apostolic authority, but to underscore and to emphasize the conclusion of this letter. See, throughout this very letter, the Spirit of God has been inspiring Paul to give a very detailed contrast between the legalist and the Spirit-led Christian. He has shown them that the believer living under law and the believer living under grace are diametrically opposed to each other. That it's not just a matter about different doctrine, it's about a matter of two very radically different ways of living. You can either choose bondage or you can choose liberty. That's chapters 5, 1 through 12. You can either choose the flesh or you can choose the spirit, which was chapter 5, 13 through 26. You can choose to live serving self or you can choose living serving others. That was Galatians 6, 1 through 10. And now here he presents a fourth final contrast between the legalist and the spirit-led believer, verses 11 through 18, which is you can either live for the praise of men or you can live for the glory of God. What say you? And so Paul now writes this in large letters as a way to stand up on the table and shouting out from the top of his lungs, do not miss this. Knowing why we are doing what we are doing is every bit as important as knowing what we are to do, right? We have to know the why. Friends, I would ask you this morning, is there a need in the church today for a continued examination of our motives even now? Yes or no? Absolutely. I'll follow that with a question. 
If we say that there's a need in the church today to examine our motives, let me ask, why is the need for such examination perpetual? Why is it unending? Somebody tell me. What's that? Jeremiah 17, 9, which is? The heart is deceitful above all things, right? Our homardiology, our anthropology, our understanding of man, our own wickedness and depravity, <laughs> right? We can stand on a good path, we can create good path, we can do good things, and all of a sudden, ill-begotten motives begin to set in. Maybe they weren't there before, but they can creep in at a moment's notice. So there's a constant need to examine why you're doing in any given moment. I'll follow that with an example. What are some wrong motives that we can have creep into even good work within the church? I'll hear from you this morning. What are some wrong motives? Pride. Pride. Excellent. Want to elaborate on that? Excellent. So that you can be not, not, uh, noted, observed, puffed up. Praised. What else? I'm sorry? Okay, go ahead and expand on that for me, Drew. Exactly. This is still this sort of meritorious bent that we had that if I do these things and enough of these things, um, we somehow earn merit with God or favor with Him. Anything else? Any wrong motives? Yes, Brandon. Greed. Yes, yes, profiting. Excellent, which is rampant in the church. Obviously with a large swath of the church that is definitely consumed with more of a health, wealth, entertain, get the masses. Excellent, what else? Anything else? Wrong motives that can creep into even what should be a good work. Yeah, impressing other people. Yeah, just stroking the ego, right? <laughs> we love that, right? It's like, a, it's like a pet. You know, I walk behind my dog and pet him behind the ears, and all of a sudden the, 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 the leg just automatically starts to move. It's almost a reflex, and we're the same way. We, we love it. We, we eat it up. So I think, if anything, at this moment, as we unpack this over the next two weeks, just be mindful, Lord, would you continue to just sift in my heart? I want my heart aligned for one purpose and that's, I want to live for your glory, right? And there's some takeaways here in this text. There's the old principle that a good work is spoiled by a bad motive, and that still holds true today. And we need to be cognizant of this. And so in this paragraph, Paul's going to mark, present really three different people, three different marked men. You have the legalist, verses 12 through 13. You have the Lord Jesus Christ, verses 14 through 16. And you have the Apostle Paul himself in verses 17 through 18. We're just going to cover the legalists this morning. Verses 12 through 13. These legalists is very different from those who publicly and unashamedly declare their allegiance to Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ. And this is very important, to Jesus Christ alone. And that is that the legalist lives for the praise of men and not the glory of God. Let's look back at verses 12 through 13. I think the first thing that you'll note, because Paul doesn't have a lot nice to say about the legalist, 
He describes him in kind of four ways. Number one is we note that the legalist is a braggart, which is Paul's way of saying that they are gas-bagging grandstanders, right? You know any individuals like that? They're braggarts. They're people who boast about their own achievements and their own possessions, right? The, the legalists, the Judaizers in Galatia, you know this thus far in the book, their main purpose was to do what? What were they trying to convince believers in Galatia to do? Be circumcised, right? They wanted to win people to their cause, which was to be circumcised. Their, their main purpose was not to win people to Christ, and it definitely wasn't to help believers grow in grace. No, their chief purpose was to win more converts so that they could, and Paul makes this very clear, so that they could brag about themselves. Their labor was not extended for the glory of God or the good of the church. It was done for their own glory. Look what Paul says in verse 12. He says, so that they could make a good showing, right? The more individuals they could dupe with their supplemental gospel, and the more believers that they could convince to be circumcised, the more they could boast in their flesh, which, which you, when you think about it, is a very th strange thing to boast about, right? How many people can we get to be circumcised? That's not necessarily on my list of things I want to just necessarily boast in. But it was for them, which we'll remind ourselves why in just a moment. The Judaizers were not really concerned about whether or not Galatians kept the law. They just wanted to brag about how many converts that they had made. You can almost see them and imagine them sending out a mission to Galatian newsletter, right? And the headline wrote, hundreds circumcised for the glory of God, right? You're familiar with the missionary newsletters. And that's what would have been on their heading. 100 circumcised, 101 circumcised for the glory of God. They were not concerned about the glory of God. No, they were trying to keep up appearances. Their ministry was all for show. Gentiles who had turned into lookalike Jews and who spurned grace and subjected themselves back under law, these individuals were trophies to these Judaizers. They were a means of bragging and boasting. And so Paul says, unlike the spirit-led Christian, these people are braggarts. What's the takeaway for you and I? I think the takeaway for us, fast forward, year 2023, which is bizarre to even say. Friends, it's certainly not wrong to want to win people to Christ and to see the work of the Lord succeed. It's not wrong. That's good. But it is definitely wrong to want these blessings for the glory of who? For the glory of self. We want people, we want to see people sharing in the ministries of this church. Yes? We want to see people coming to Christ. Not because we're fascinated with counting people, but because we know that people count in the eyes of God. They're made in his image. He wants to render glory to himself by saving sinners. That's our motivation. So we have to be careful not to use people to further our own selfish programs for our own glorification. Truth be told, showing off in this way is really one of the major, major differences between true religion and false religion, is it not? 
You can think about the difference for a moment. False religion always, always, always gets caught up in externals, doesn't it? Things like attendance figures, worship rituals. It's what churches are often after when they seek to entertain instead of edify. Or when they base salvation on what people do for God instead of what God does for them. But that's not true religion. True religion is different. True religion is inward. And yes, while it always has a way of working its way out, it it always starts with inside of us, does it not? God regenerates us, makes us new creations, gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh. And the problem with making something like circumcision the essence of Christianity, which is what these Judaizers were on the verge of being guilty of doing, is that that circumcision, that ritual, that rite was only an outward sign. It was merely an external, something done to the body, to the flesh of sinful self-reliance. But true religion's never based on outward works. It's always based on inward faith and a work of God within us. Radically different from the legalist. These individuals are braggarts. Secondly, we observe that these individuals are compromisers. Look at verse 12 for a moment. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. I want you to pay attention to the end of verse 12. Simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. As you read that, let me ask, why did the Judaizers, why did the legalists preach and practice circumcision and all that went with it? What does the end of verse 12 say? Why did they do it? To avoid persecution. They tried to compel you to be circumcised simply so that, important phrase, they will not be persecuted for the cause or the cross of Christ. Friends, when you think about the sufferings of the early church, you just go back to the book of Acts, right? We think of, often think of all the persecution that came from the hands of the Romans, don't we? Nero. But we often forget that the first attack came from who? It came from Jews, right? You go back to Acts chapter 7. What happens in Acts 7? Who's stoned? Stephen. And who's doing the stoning? Who's right at the center of it? The Sanhedrin, right? You have Acts chapter 9. This individual by the name of Paul who's writing the end of this letter with his own hand in really large letters. What is he doing? Paul, a Jew, is dragging people out of their homes and arresting them and persecuting them for being followers of Jesus Christ. The truth is some of the most severe persecution that Christians faced came from the Jewish people. And as the church spread through Asia Minor, Jewish persecution spread with it. But there was one easy way to avoid it, and that was to be circumcised. What made devout Jews angry were people who failed to maintain the proper boundaries between what it was to be Gentile and what it was to be Jewish. And so when the Judaizers followed Paul into Galatia, they were horrified to discover that Jews were fraternizing 
with Gentiles. They knew that if this practice continued much longer, it would bring on some serious trouble from authorities in the local synagogue there in Jerusalem. And so what did they do? They urged Gentiles in Galatia to get circumcised as soon as possible. All Gentiles were welcome if they would agree to join God's covenant community by circumcision. You see, the Judaizers said that circumcision was necessary to belong to God's covenant people, but their real motivation was fear. They were afraid. They were afraid of what other Jews would say and do if they found out that they were worshiping with Gentiles. It would be much easier to defend their involvement with Christianity if they could say that the Gentiles in their house had kept the law of Moses. If only the Gentiles would agree to be circumcised like Jews, it would solve everything and we wouldn't be persecuted. Deep down inside, the issue was that they were unwilling to to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Friends, you want to talk about a massive additional contrast between the legalist and the spirit-led believer. An unwillingness to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. How do we know that this is a contrast? Just look no further than the Apostle Paul himself. Paul was definitely not afraid to put his name in large letters on the proclamation of the gospel. We see that in verse 11. He writes it with the biggest letters possible. And what did Paul receive for his boldness? Persecution. Look down at verse 17, which we'll get to next Sunday. Paul says, I literally still bear the marks on his body as a price for that boldness. I still share the brand marks of Jesus. And the same could not be said of the Judaizers. Judaizers tried to make the Christians think that they were, that they too were Christians and they tried to make the followers the followers of the Mosaic law think that they too obeyed the law. But really what they were doing was fence straddling. They were compromising. And as a result of their wishy-washy cowardiceness, these legalists escaped being persecuted by other legalists for their identification with the cross of Christ and associating with all that's devastating effect on the law. These men were compromising. What's the takeaway for you and I I was thinking about this because we're not in a context of necessarily someone pleading with us to be circumcised or you know, avoiding persecution for the cross of Christ is, takes on different forms today. I think for me, though, I was giving time and attention to what happens next Sunday and the Sunday after. We have Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday where we're gonna look into the cross in an intentionally heightened way, even more so than we usually do. And we always look to the cross. So, but we do so in a, in a heightened celebratory sense than, than even usual. I think the takeaway for you and I is that we're prone to look at the cross and the crucifixion. And if we're not careful, we can look upon it in sentimental ways. We wear crosses on our lapels and are on our necklaces chains around our necks. And that was not the case for those who read this letter in the first century. The cross was not a beautiful piece of jewelry. 
It was the lowest form of death imaginable. It was the ultimate means of humiliation. And so a proper Roman citizen would never mention the cross in a polite conversation. It stood for everything that was rejection and everything that was shame. But when Paul trusted Christ, he gladly identified himself with the cross and he gladly took the consequences for it. And as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to the Jews, the cross was a what? Stumbling block. And to the Gentile, it was foolishness. You see, no one naturally loved the cross in that context, left to their own devices. And so when the legalists emphasized circumcision rather than crucifixion, they won many converts to their cause. Why? Because it allowed them to avoid the shame of the cross. Theirs was a popular religion simply because it avoided the shame of the cross. They were compromisers. What's my encouragement to you this morning? Just on a pastoral note, I would say there may very well be a day when persecution is heightened for our association with the cross of Christ. I think as we move forward with time, it starts to become abundantly clear as you read the book of Revelation, you can actually start to see how, I can see how these things start to take place. It's rapidly moving that direction. It's not hard to imagine where persecution will arise. And we have to ask now, before it comes in heightened form, what sort of church will we be? Will Northlake be a group of compromisers? Or will we gladly boast in the cross of Jesus Christ unapologetically? The failure of the legalist is a reminder to us, Lord, I don't ever want to be a compromiser. I don't ever want to be faced with opposition, hostility for my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I never want to cower. I never want to buckle I always want to be unashamed and unapologetic about my devotion to you. My encouragement, let's not be ashamed of the cross, right? Love it, relish in it, sing in it, weep in front of it, do all of that. You're familiar with the old hymn, right? The world behind me, the cross before me. What does it say? No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. May that be our disposition today. May that be our disposition 20 years from now, even as the culture and the, and the age in which we live continues to move in further hostility to the cause of God and his gospel. These legalists were braggarts. They were compromisers. Third, because we have to keep moving, they were persuaders. Verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to, and here's the word, compel you to be circumcised. And we've seen this word before. Compel. Look back at chapter 2, verse 14. In Galatians 2, Paul referenced his having to rebuke Peter for, for trying to convince Gentiles to live like Jews under the law. He's literally rebuking Peter. And he writes in two, two, chapter 2, verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, basically they were not living in line with the gospel, they were, their daily practice was an offense to the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, I said it to his face. 
If you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel, same word, the Gentiles to live like Jews? The word compel carries the strong idea of a persuasion, intense persuasion. It indicates that the Judaizers were great persuaders. They had the sales talk that convinced Gentiles that legalism was the way to go, not the way of grace. You'll remember that this is the whole reason why Paul wrote the book of Galatians in the first place. Some Jewish missionaries had come to follow up the work of Paul and his evangelism. These missionaries, more more than likely Judaizers from Jerusalem, claimed to believe the good news from Jesus Christ. They taught about the cross. They taught about the empty tomb. They spoke of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was just one thing that these teachers wanted to add to Paul's gospel, and that was the Jewish rite of circumcision. In the Old Testament, God had commanded his people to remove every male foreskin as a sign of belonging to God's covenant people. You can see that in Genesis 17. And so the legalists, to them, circumcision was still a prerequisite for salvation. In fact, their whole missionary program can be summarized in Acts 15.1. This is their campaign slogan. It's here on the screen for you. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, listen to this damning statement. You cannot be saved. For the Judaizer's salvation meant the cross plus circumcision. And friends, when you start talking like that, the cross plus anything, you're in a lot of trouble, are you not? What's the takeaway for you and I? Well, there's still a continual temptation, even for the church today, to turn the gospel into the cross plus something else, right? Whether that something else is a deed or a duty or a sacrament or, or even a social cause you see prevalent today. The problem is always with the plus in that equation. The problem's never with the cross. The problem is with the word plus. For the gospel to be the gospel, the cross has to stand alone. It's the cross and that's it. And unlike the Judaizers who were master persuaders, Paul understood this. He, just, he would always come with simple talk, plain speech, did he not? He didn't use any oratorical tricks. He didn't use any debater skill to win people. He simply proclaimed the unadulterated gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.1. Paul writes, And when I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Underscored yet further in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, and indeed we have, we do not lose heart, 
But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We do not preach ourselves. Radically different. You see the difference, right? Spirit-led believers live for the glory of God and not the praise of men. I think the fourth and final observation here Not only are they braggarts and compromisers and persuaders, they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Look at verse 13. These words sting. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. So not only does the legalist want to boast in the flesh of other people, but their boast was an empty boast. They want you to submit to the law, but they don't obey the law themselves. And why is that, friends? Why don't they obey the law themselves? Let me me ask you, theologically, why do they not keep the law themselves? They can't, right? Excellent. They can't. They're unable. No one can. Galatians 3.10, you've already seen it. Look back at it. You may have to flip there. No, it's up there. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is is everyone who does not abide by what? All things written in the book of the law to perform them. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law. You see, the problem with the law is not the law. The problem with the law is sin. It's Jeremiah 17:9. Is our wicked, deceitful, depraved hearts? The law saves only those who keep it, which no one does, right? Romans 3:10. No one is good, no, not even one. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one place, one point, has literally become guilty of it all. I'm going to talk about what Easter means to us, Palm Sunday means to us. It's James 2.10. To disobey one place of it is to be guilty of the whole thing. That is why Easter is so powerfully significant to us. And so what circumcision amounted to was justification, at least their attempt by works. It was a way of saying, I can be saved by my own efforts, by my own law keeping. And that's diametrically opposed to gospel truth revealed in God's word. No, you are unable to keep the law and that's the problem. You need someone to come and do for yourself what you cannot do for yourself. Paul says to make it sting and to dig his thumb into their chest. He says the problem is that those, you, you you legalists who insist on saving yourself 
by your own effort, you can't even measure up to your own standard. That's the irony. You're trying to get other people to do what you yourself don't even do yourself. None of us can keep the law. None of our efforts. They're all filthy rags, Isaiah 66, 4. What's the byproduct of that? What, what is produced from that? Our only boast lies where? Our only boast lies in the cross of Christ. Romans 3.27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by law of faith. For we maintain, and this is the mantra of the book of Galatians, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That is our boasting. Faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. And so here Paul calls out these arrogant, self-righteous individuals, and he calls them out for being hypocrites. He condemns them for the dishonesty. Truth be told, they had no intention of keeping the law, even if they could. Their reverence for the law was only a mask to cover their own real agenda which was winning more converts to the cause. They wanted more to report more statistics, more people who had been circumcised so that they could boast. They wanted to escape persecution. The summation of it, they wanted more glory for themselves, plain and simple. And so no wonder, friends, Paul opposed these Judaizers at every single turn. He writes the entire book of Galatians to address their efforts. Those people were unwilling to endure persecution for the cross of Christ. They, were, they sought the glory of their own success. They never practiced what they preached. And worst of all, by trusting in circumcision rather than the cross, they denied the free grace of the gospel. And so this is sort of a big deal to Paul. See with what large letters I'm writing with my own hand. And so Paul is very clear to point these men out, saying this is what these men look like. Avoid them and avoid being like them. Don't be a braggart. Don't compromise. Don't be a hypocrite. Over the next two weeks, we're going to celebrate the procuring of our own salvation and again in very intentionally heightened ways. Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday. My encouragement this morning is we celebrate, let's avoid, let's avoid all legalistic inclinations. As you sing, as you place yourself under your word, there should be a flavor about our worship that, res that resounds outside the doors of this place is that these people get the grace of God. truth is we need the Lord's help because we're all prone to be self-righteous braggarts. It's natural to me. We're all prone to be self-preserving compromisers. And we're all prone to self-motivated hypocrisy. So lest we look at the Judaizers and say, I can't believe such people. Be careful. That same legalist lies with inside of you and me. Next week, we're going to look at two additional marked men, the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the Apostle Paul himself. I would for, like for us to discuss, though, more as a group, just three questions, more for application's sake and to encourage each other. They're on your outline this morning. Question number one would be this. What does a braggadocious spirit reveal about your spiritual life? What does a braggadocious spirit, someone who brags and boasts other than the cross of Christ, what does it reveal about your spiritual life? Place, excellent, placing, you place your confidence in your flesh. What else? What's that? Okay, we value more the praise of men than the God who has saved us through his son. E, that hurts. What else? Pride. Did you say pride, Tim? Pride, excellent. Craig? Yeah, it tells us about just, did everyone hear him? Our understanding of who we are, right? And just to echo that, right, it it does tell us a bit about our theology. And maybe not our theology, because we we can write a theological paper, and it'd be buttoned up and sound. But our theological awareness is not always what it ought to be. And that's when pride creeps in, right? Um, Joseph, and then Kelly. Yeah, we, more, we worry more about what is seen than is unseen. What is with inside? Excellent. Thanks, Joe. Kelly? I think you can reveal insecurity, like not understanding where our confidence comes Yeah, excellent, excellent. Insecurity, not understanding where our confidence comes from. Excellent. Okay, elaborate on that, Drew. I don't disagree with you. Excellent, excellent. Reveals often a lack of repentance. One more, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, self-deception. Excellent, excellent. And you just... It, even as you said that, I thought about, Kelly, what you were saying with insecurity. There's a book, I think Ed Welch, when people are big and God is small, right? It's kind of the same rationale, that fear of man. Great book if you've not, not read it. Second question here, in what ways are we still tempted to compromise today? What ways are we still tempted to compromise today? This one, we have to work a little more than in... Galatians context. We don't want to cause waves. Okay. Yeah. So oftentimes we just remain quiet. You go on, get along. Don't rock the boat. Okay. Yeah. What else? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're a wretched sinner under the damnation of God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we were tempted to share just part of the gospel or underscore and emphasize the part that, that people don't have an issue with uh, versus that which people do. Excellent. What else? Anything else? One more, Brandon. Okay. Yeah. The other that, and, and this is still prevalent in the church, right? And we're not, not talking like, oh, we don't, you know, I'm, yes, I'm not being persecuted and dragged in the streets anymore, but this temptation to compromise, we live in a uh, church context, uh, evangelicals, evangelicalism, even those who would say that they're brothers and sisters of us, right? Or, or, and we have to be careful. I don't want to exclude ourselves from that. Temptation to add to the gospel. It's the unadulterated gospel that we're to present, so we talk about, you know, why do we do fundamentals of faith and equip or partners? It's just, it's just ensuring, hey, I'm, I'm constantly reminding myself of the gospel. Like, it's, I've been a believer 20 years. Why do I got to do partners? Man, why not do partners, right? Like, um, reveling in just good gospel doctrine and truth. So uh, third question, how does hypocrisy conflict with our celebration of Easter? How does hypocrisy conflict with our celebration of Easter? Last question. Okay. If our boast is in self, that is in diametrically opposed to what we are to be about on Easter and every day in between. What else? How does hypocrisy conflict with our celebration of Easter? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just approach even how you enter into this place, right? To celebrate. If I'm tracking with you, Jess, uh, right? It's just to show the externals, which by all means come, but be leery of hypocrisy. Lord, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to step foot in this place. I don't want to go another day with my life being dominated by duplicitousness and double-mindedness, right? James, which we'll get to, has a lot to speak to that. It's an unstable man. In all his ways, it says. What else? Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's full of symbolism. Hopefully that has rich, just dripping with meaning for us. Real meaning, right? Not for the world. Not for the world, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, too, just to, just to close, like, it... it you think about the, the week behind you and the week in front of you, um, there's a choice to make. A spirit-led spirit believer is going to keep a short account of sins. It's going to make sure relationships are in, in proper standing, right? If something needs to be aired out, forgiveness, grace, bitterness dealt with, we deal with it. It, it means we do not harbor any unrepented sin, Right? You want to live a life that's in direct conflict with the Easter and everything that it entails and the person that's at the center of it that you celebrate is to live the majority of your days in willful 
defiant, God opposed sin. Whether it be pride or greed or lust and fill on the list, whatever it may be for you, I'd say spend this next week, Lord, root out any area of hypocrisy for me. And when I feel like I've reached the bottom of the barrel, would you open up the bottom and show me another layer? Because there's still more, right? Lord, eradicate any hypocrisy from my life. That's a lifelong from here to glory journey, right? Here's the good part. We've got a God who's gracious to his promises and he's with you. Yes? Are you grateful for that? I hope you are. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you that you are with us and you are working in us and through us. You are sanctifying us. You are making us into your image. In your likeness, we thank you. We thank you for the book of Galatians. We look at a very unpleasant list and description of an individual, Lord, that you are literally screaming at us to avoid and avoid being like. And so we ask that you would help us to heed its instruction. Guard us from pride. Guard us from boasting in self. I even pray for the next hour that you would energize our time before you afresh. That the that our boast in the cross of Jesus Christ would be so profound and so deep, so sincere that you were to receive all the glory and honor and delight in the praises of your people. Lord, would you do that among us today? And may you use this time to build us up and point us to your glories. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.